I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In one of my latest videos, I talk about the Sunni and Shia and what some of the differences between them are. Um, and in that video, one of my main points is that we shouldn't view them as two distinct factions, like, like the Catholic and Orthodox churches in Christianity, for example. And this is not just because they are both eternally, sort of internally diverse, but also because even from a generalizing perspective, they aren't even the two only branches of Islam. Um, in a lot of YouTube videos, I see there are, not just in YouTube videos, and generally I see a lot of people um, making, we're talking about Sufism as its own branch, so that it becomes Sunni, Shia, and Sufi. But this is highly inaccurate, because Sufism is not a branch in itself, but Sufis are rather usually Sunnis or Shia, it's more of a, a dimension or practice within Islam. But there is another branch that is distinct from both Sunni and Shia, and one that is sort of often forgotten and not very much talked about. But if you do travel to the country of Oman, you'll find that a huge number of the population, maybe even a majority, follow this branch, which is known as Ibadism. If you've never heard about Ibadism, don't 
worry, and neither have most people in the world, including most Muslims. Uh, while they do make up a very small percentage of the world's Muslims, they do make up a significant portion, and even the sort of official version of Islam, in the country of Oman on the Arabian Peninsula, uh, as well as some populations in pockets in Tunisia and Algeria in North Africa. Today, the Ibadis are often known or viewed as a very moderate or tolerant version of Islam. And if we ignore the fact that this seems to imply that the Sunnis and Shia aren't these things, there is some merit to this claim. Um, the Ibadis and the people in Oman generally have shown a great uh, ability to coexist peacefully and, and tolerantly with people from other uh, Muslim denominations and also from different faiths altogether. It may thus be surprising to learn that Ibadism is simultaneously a rather puritanical or strict interpretation of Islam, if those words are understood in a more nuanced and neutral way simply as a strict adherence to the religious law. These paradoxes will become clearer soon, but let's dive deeper and explore what Ibadism is all about and how it came about. They originate in an early movement called the Khawarij, or Kharijites, who seceded in protest from the army of the fourth caliph Ali after he had signed an agreement with the later Umayyad caliph Muawiyah following a civil war between the two, a battle called the Battle of Sifin. This group became known as the Khawarij, or Kharijites, based on the Arabic word to leave, the root Kharaja, because they seceded from his army. It was also a Kharajite who a few years later in 661 assassinated Ali for his treason, according to them. They would then constitute their own group, who was thus distinct from both Sunnis and Shia, and would often be involved in different revolts and sometimes violent revolutions. Now the issue of the Khawarij is a rather sensitive one. It is true that the Ibadis have their origins in this movement, and most Ibadis today sort of accept this uh, fact, um, but they are simultaneously kind of uneasy about it, which is understandable. The Khawarij were viewed by their contemporaries back in, in the classical Islamic world as being extremists, violent extremists, who would often attack other Muslims because they didn't believe uh, in the same things that they did. Um, to the point that today many people use Khawarij as a very derogatory term to describe groups like Al-Qaeda or ISIS and has thus become almost synonymous with terrorists. What's important to remember is that the Khawarij themselves were, back then, divided into subgroups, not all of which were violent or as extreme, but nonetheless disagreed about Ali's decision at the Battle of Sifin. It is often said that it was the moderate branch of the Kharijites that became the Ibadis, often being, for example, on friendly terms with the Umayyad regime and cooperating with them, and that they split off from the larger Khawarij movement because of their extremist views. We're not exactly sure when the Ibadis became a distinct group of their own. Its founding is often attributed to two figures, Abdullah ibn Ibad, whom Ibadism is named after, and Jabir ibn Zaid, both of whom seem to have died in the early 8th century. The latter figure, Jabir ibn Zaid, was from Oman originally. He studied and lived for a while in Basra, one of the centers of the Umayyad Caliphate, before eventually moving back or possibly being expelled with his followers to Oman. And this might be the start of Ibadism's strong presence in that country in particular. From that point on, Ibadism would develop into its own unique tradition, and while it sometimes was rather 
isolated, of course, it didn't develop in a vacuum. Uh, many of these scholars of Ibadism studied in Basra and among many Sunni and Shia scholars, and thus were highly influenced by those uh, movements. The uniqueness and fascinating aspects of Ibadism are, of course, many, but I will place them historically and intellectually within the larger Islamic world uh, through three main points or subjects, uh, jurisprudence, theology, and authority. In terms of the general aspects of, of law or science of law, known as usul al-fiqh, the Ibadis are pretty familiar. They basically follow the Sunni model. They adapted this, the model from the Sunnis, probably, uh, which means that they, they use, in terms of law, driving law, they use the Quran primarily, and then the Hadith and the Sunnah of the Prophet, analogy and consensus. Uh, one way in which they differ from the Sunnis is that they, they generally tend to deny taqlid, which is a sort of imitation of, of, of the established doctrine, which is something that the Sunnis uh, followed uh, generally from the Middle Ages to at least the early modern period. Instead, the Ibadis retain the importance of the concept known as ijtihad, or personal reasoning of the individual jurist, uh, which they share more with the Shia than the Sunni. As such, much like in the Sunni and Shia world, the Hadith eventually became very important, and the Ibadis place a large emphasis on it. However, like the Shia, the Ibadis have their own Hadiths and collections of Hadith, primarily a collection called the Tartib al-Musnad, which was compiled in the 12th century. It contains some Hadiths from the Sunni collections, but primarily those of an earlier Ibadi collection called the Jami Sahi or Musnad al-Rabbiyah. Given that this is basically the only Ibadi collection, the Ibadis have a significantly lesser number of hadiths to work from compared to their Sunni and Shia counterparts. Partly as a result of this, the Ibadis have some rather unique practices when it comes to some of the rituals, like the daily prayers. For example, the Ibadis actually have their hands down at the sides while praying in this standing position, which they share with some Shia groups, but not the majority of Sunnis. There are also differences in some very minute details, like the fact that Ibadis don't say Amin after reciting the Al-Fatiha, the opening prayer of the Quran. Traditionally, there has also been a rather unique doctrine where no congregational Friday prayers are to be observed unless there is a just imam in power, although this isn't really enforced today. When it comes to issues of theology, the Ibadis are sometimes rather familiar and at other times very unique, uh, much like the rationalistically oriented uh, theological school called the Mu'tazila in the Sunni Shia world. Um, the Ibadis tend to view or read Quranic verses metaphorically, at least those describing God with anthropomorphic qualities. Instead, they favor a, a God that is completely devoid of creaturely qualities and that is sort of absolutely transcendent in that sense. Similarly, they also hold that the sort of essential attributes like life, knowledge, wisdom, and so on that God has is not something that he has or is added to his essence, but it's actually part of his essence. So knowledge and wisdom is not something that God has, it's something that he is in his very being. Moreover, the Ibadis generally share the Mu'tazila position that the Quran was created at a specific point in time, rather than being eternally present with God like the mainstream Sunni position. However, unlike the Mu'tazila, they do not believe in free will, but rather that everything is preordained and controlled by God, much like the Sunni Asharis. So as you can see, in terms of theology, they have some aspects that are similar to, to the Mu'tazila and, and the Shia in that sense, and other factors that are more similar to the Sunni mainstream Ashari theology. Certain other unique doctrines of the Khawarij, which the early Ibadis adopted, were rather strict ideas about who counted as a Muslim. 
According to them, people who sin are not Muslims anymore. While the mainstream Sunnis would say that basically anyone who affirmed the basic tenets of the faith were Muslims and sinning made you perhaps a less good Muslim, the Ibadis would say that behavior and actions were integral to the faith as such. Being a Muslim meant upholding certain standards, and if you didn't live up to those standards, you wouldn't count as a Muslim. This is why some of the Khawarij, who held the same idea, felt like they could assassinate Ali, for example, as they believed that he had lost his right to lead. But even if people sinned and weren't considered Muslims anymore, to the Ibadis they were usually still counted as monotheists and retained certain rights. One could intermarry with them and so on. One should keep in mind that this is all the traditional and classical approach of the Ibadis and earlier Khawarij, and that most sort of Ibadi scholars today probably wouldn't agree with this. Rather, many modern scholars do sort of have a more ecumenal approach and, and are much more tolerant and open towards other denominations and other religions generally. They often stand for things like tolerance and peaceful coexistence, rather than these very strict um, ideas that the traditional Ibadis had. Ideas of authority also differ significantly from the Sunni and the Shia. Uh, the Shia obviously has a very clear idea of authority, with the Imams, so-called, being both the worldly and spiritual leaders and successors of Muhammad, and uh, being exclusively from the Prophet's uh, sort of line of succession uh, through his daughter Fatima. To the Sunnis, at least in theory, the caliphs, the leaders of the community, um, should be from the, uh, the tribe of the Quraysh, which is Muhammad's tribe back in Arabia, uh, and was usually a hereditary position, even if the early ideals seem to have been a caliph elected by community choice. The Ibadis, in contrast, don't take tribal or family affiliation into account at all. They also call their leaders imams, but these imams don't hold the same spiritual role that they do in Shiism. The Imam of the Ibadis is elected by a group of religious scholars, or ulama, based solely on his piety, righteousness, and ability to lead. Because of this strong emphasis on the character of the Imam, and which can be traced back to the early days of the Khawarij, the Ibadis therefore also has a rather unique idea that if there is an unfit Imam in power, one who is not righteous or doesn't lead well, it is not only allowed but encouraged to depose him in a kind of revolt. There is a saying that as long as you have 40 men who are willing to die, you ought to depose any unjust leader. This doctrine of the Ibadis is also why, like I mentioned earlier, they have held traditionally that uh, no congregational Friday prayers are to be observed at all unless there is a just imam in power. This is connected to this idea of authority. A land or nation that is ruled by a righteous imam is called an imamit, and there have been a few Ibadi imamits in history. There were some early on in North Africa, but most have been in Oman and Zanzibar in East Africa, which was part of an Omani empire for a while. The last of these imamits was established in 1913 by Nur al salimi and the last of the imams was Ghalib al-Hinai, who died in 2009. The Sultanate of Muscat and Imamate of Oman, so-called, was unified as the Sultanate of Oman in 1970, and thus ended the last imamate. The whole area has been since ruled by sultans, sort of more secular leaders, the latest of which was Sultan Qaboos ibn Said, who actually just passed away, may he rest in peace. So what we have with Ibadism is what appears to be a rather paradoxical situation. Um, the scholar Valerie J. Hoffman has written an excellent book called The Essentials of Ibadi Islam, in which he points out that Ibadism appears to present a number of contradictory positions, at least according to our often preconceived notions about religion or Islam in general. 
Ibadism is to a large degree a rather puritanical movement, as putting great emphasis on following the law of the Sharia, but at the same time they apply a rather rational theology similar to the Mu'tazila. These are often two positions that we don't see uh, going together. They believe in predestination, but still believe in both the createdness of the Quran and have a strong sort of activist tendency. They also have a rather narrow and restrictive definition of what constitutes a Muslim, but at the same time seem to show great tolerance and understanding for those non-Muslims. In fact, this is something that is important to remember. Much of what I've said has been from a historical, traditional standpoint and doesn't necessarily apply at all to the present situation. Ibadis often like to view themselves, and are viewed by others, as moderate and a tolerant branch of Islam. We can see this in Oman as many different religious groups live side by side peacefully, and the general attitude of Ibadi scholars towards those of other denominations are usually ecumenal and more open. Ibadism deserves more attention and discussion, not just because of its apparent tolerance today, which is of course admirable, but also because it's a significant, unique, and, and very interesting branch of Islam that is often forgotten in these kinds of discussions. Uh, but at the same time, it can tell us a lot about the complexity and diversity of this religion. I'll see you next time. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. 
For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com.